You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Welcome into the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson here with Spencer Lenton from the BYU Sports Nation. Uh, Spencer, how are you doing tonight? Hey, great. Good to be with you guys. And good to be talking Big 12 football. I know specifically Texas Tech and BYU. But just good to be part of the Big 12, man. It's been a long time coming, and really this is like a dream come true for a lot of BYU fans to be involved in this whole process. Well, we're certainly happy to have you all and um, appreciate you joining us so we can preview BYU and maybe introduce the program to some of our listeners. We've been trying to talk to somebody who covers every single Big 12 school, particularly the newcomers that you know maybe there's not as much knowledge or uh, you know awareness of the history and tradition of some of those schools. So uh, I guess let's start there. We'll get into the actual X's and O's football stuff, but tell us a little bit about the BYU program. Um, I know, you know, kind of y'all refers to some of the air raid stuff, which I know is near and dear to a lot of Texas tech fans from our days with Mike Leach. And so, uh, yeah, just tell us a little bit about the BYU football program and what Texas tech fans can expect from y'all as conference mates. Well, as far as this year's team goes and the makeup of 2023 BYU football we're starting to see offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick's true emphasis and his impact on the program. Now that he's been Kalani Satake's main go-to guy as the OC for now pushing, you know, five plus years. So it's, it's been a long road. He had a stint at the university of Utah as a co-offensive coordinator, but he wasn't truly granted the range to do what he wanted to do until he got to BYU. And what he wants to do is, essentially return BYU to what made the Cougars, you know, so effective for so many years um, with the original drop back, crazy passing attack. And I I think that's the direction that that Aaron Roderick wants to go um, and wants to keep going. It has netted BYU back-to-back quarterbacks drafted in Zach Wilson and and Jaron Hall. And they feel like Keaton Slovis, if he can return to his Pac-12 freshman of the year form that he showed at USC in 2019 and the early part of 2020, that they can put a third consecutive quarterback into the NFL draft. And those are lofty expectations for Slovis, but they brought him in to continue a trend that uh, Coach Roderick wants to keep going. And that is that BYU is returning to their roots where they are pass first, run second, They're going to play very physical up front. Uh, They've loaded up on the offensive line, try and beef up to handle the independent schedules that they had before implementing into the big 12 this year. But that, that if I had to explain BYU, it's a return to the roots with the quarterback factory guys that don't turn the ball over a lot that know how to take calculated shots and with a, a nice little play action run game mixed in. So if BYU could score 40 points a game every game, they would opt for that. Um, what they don't want to do with the, the return of the roots is get into those old whack shootouts where it was 55-52 or 61-58. They're hoping that the defense is a little bit better, which is why they 
you know, they went out and they they got a defensive coordinator in Jay Hill who had been doing wonders at uh, an FCS program in Weber State, made them a perennial FCS playoff contender. Um, and he kind of came from the Kyle Whittingham tree at the University of Utah. Really, really old school, high level, high energy guy on the defensive side. And they're hoping that he can turn things around on the defensive side while they maintain the pass first, run second ideals uh, on offense. So I know that's um, somewhat of a summarized answer, um, but that that's probably the best way I can I can shape it up is a return to the roots of the quarterback factory and BYU is going to look to pass first. They'll run a lot of motions, a lot of uh, different pack. It'll look like they're running like seven different packages when really it's just coach Roderick with his base offense, throwing in multiple looks within the base offense. So it looks, it's going to look complicated to defenses. Uh, and that's by design. He's, he's just trying to mix up what he feels is, a simple way for his guys to understand what looks like to defenses is a very, very complex offense. Do you feel like playing a, an independent schedule over the last several seasons uh, prepares you better for the big 12 compared to maybe these AAC teams coming in because you've played so many PAC 12 games and you've played some schools in the power five more often than not. I believe that BYU is the most prepared of the new four to come in and, and handle the workload and listen there's nothing that can truly get you prepared for 10 consecutive power five games in a row you just have to do it and then you know but BYU to their credit in the independent format played as many as seven power five games in a season and some of the group of five teams they played were high level teams I mean they were playing UCF and Boise State on a regular basis those teams have good football programs they compare to power five teams so it was close not quite what they're going to face but yes to answer your question I feel like BYU because of what they have done to ramp up the schedules especially over the last you know three to five years you throw out the 2020 year because of the COVID scenario where nobody wanted to play Right. And or no, nobody was allowing their teams in power five conferences to play BYU. But right around that, they they did whatever they could do to to get ready and, and wait for this hopeful invitation. And then it came. So I think they're the, the most ready of the new four teams. And I think the most national analysts would, would agree with me. Like I'm and I'm trying to be as objective as possible as a guy that covers BYU day in and day out. But I really do think that it matters like when, when you play more power five teams on a regular basis than Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF, by nature, you should you should be more ready for, you know, w w the onslaught that is coming uh, this year with Arkansas and then nine consecutive Big 12 games. Uh, how do you quantify it, though, is the real question. Like, how how do we know, like – do we, do we quantify it and like, oh, BYU will win one or two more games than these other four? Or like they'll average five or six more points per game? I don't know. That That's that's what's hard to figure out is, sure, they feel more ready. We think they're more ready. But how does that manifest itself? I tend to believe it'll probably win BYU a game more than the other four teams. Um, so if, if BYU is projected to win five and a half right now, by Vegas, I think that it's closer to six and a half because of what they have dealt with in the recent past. So just speaking for myself here, I've, I've never been much of a big 
conference pride, you know, Big 12 raw, raw guy. But that did change a little bit when Texas and OU left. And I felt like we had to all kind of coalesce a little bit. And I love the 2021 season right after BYU and the other three were announced. I think y'all went 5-0 and against the Pac-12 that year. Uh, yes, sort of, de facto Pac-12 South champions. Yes. Much the grin of Utah fans. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Them up, you tell them that BYU won the Pac-12 South. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going with it because this Pac-12 versus Big 12 rivalry has formed. And so it was fun to, you know, kind of obviously Texas Tech is our, my primary fan interest, but to be able to take another interest like that and say, you know, okay, yeah, we're going to pull for BYU over Arizona today or over Utah today. And, and y'all got it done in 2021. Um, I want to ask about your head coach a little bit because he's a guy who's been there several years, which is, uh, you know, something Cincinnati can't say. Uh, Dana Holgerson kind of on the hot seat in Houston, but y'all seem to have a pretty stable head coaching situation with Kalani Sataki. Sure. Um, some really good seasons. I think two uh, double-digit win seasons. Might be fair to say last season was a little bit of a disappointment, especially after the early season win over Baylor and kind of maybe – I think y'all were maybe top 15 or top 20 after that. But Yeah, yeah, top um, uh, number 12, yeah. Yeah, so just tell us a little bit about his coaching style, coaching philosophy, and kind of um, where he – and BYU stand um, in your eyes kind of maybe relative to some of the other head coaching situations in the conference? Sure. I, I think uh, the first thing that most people will notice is he just got an incredibly warm personality and very funny. Um, is great at one-liners. He's very self-deprecating. Um, often he'll make fun of his own diet <laughs> and um, you're getting, you know, to the point where he's buying larger and larger clothes uh, but that he's very, very fun, engaging personality, but super intense when it comes to the football. Like when he gets inside his football element, he's very passionate, very intense. And it's been uh, entertaining and um, intriguing to watch his transition from first year head coach and first time head coach back in 2016 to where he is now, because things things have changed. Uh, he inherited a team that had Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams, who were both seniors and who ironically enough are now reunited with the New Orleans Saints. Um, but so he kind of, he inherited somewhat of a, of a full closet. He had Fred Warner on that team too, guys. I, I mean, we're talking about like, you want to come into a scenario and you've got all pro Fred Warner and Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams on your team. Okay, now you're working with some stuff. But what was unfortunate is it, it kind of felt like everything in the cupboard was, you know, needed to be used now and then it was gone. And so in 2017, it was full rebuild and he had the worst season in 50 years at BYU going four and nine in 2017. And that just doesn't happen in Provo. You just don't, that just doesn't happen. Um, and so he had to fire his offensive coordinator, who's this beloved Heisman Trophy winner in Ty Detmer. Like Kalani had to learn how to be the bad guy almost and to have hard conversations. And so he went through some really tough times, like pretty good for a season nine and four with great weapons, terrible season in, in year number two. And but but I think as difficult as that was for him emotionally it kind of shaped him and it was, it was a lesson that needed to be learned where he's like, okay, I, I gotta be able to, I gotta go get my guys. Like I, I need not just buddies or like, you know, guys that 
that fans will be excited about. I need to go get the guys that I feel are going to be the best bet. He had to convince, you know, the administration to invest more money uh, when they really didn't have it. And the, and the big 12 invite was still three years out, four years out, but he kind of hunkered down and, and went and got some of his guys. He went and got Aaron Roderick as his offensive coordinator to follow Jeff Grimes, who's now at Baylor. And he, he went and, and figured out how to, to work within the bounds that BYU had given to him, which, you know, until recently, they just didn't pay a ton. It, it was hard to keep good coaches at BYU because the mantra was, well, it's a blessing to be at BYU. Sometimes you just have to make sacrifices and not make as much. And, but he, he found a way um, to, to learn through those hard lessons. And I watched his disposition change to more of a business oriented coach. He was, he was always the personality and, and so kind and engaging, but I, I watched him almost grow up like, and, and have to deal with hard things, but ultimately it got him to a much better place where he has his unit, his staff. And most recently, I mean, he wanted Jay Hill. He worked with Jay Hill at the university of Utah when Kalani was a defensive coordinator. Jay was the safeties coach and, and was doing some other things. He wanted to go get Jay Hill and he convinced BYU's administration to pay for a defensive coordinator that was one of Kalani's guys, and um, and he and he went and got him, and that's kind of a microcosm of of what I've seen change is it, it went from more of like a good old boys club, former BYU guys all on the staff, to no, no, it's not going to work. I need to go get the best available coaches. I need to go get guys I trust that I've worked with. Doesn't matter where they've been; they don't have to all be BYU guys. We just got to figure this thing out. And um, so while he is still really fun and coaches love him and his energy remains high, he's more business now. And I, I think it needed to be that. Um, whereas he was just kind of trying to figure things out in 2016 and 2017. Um, but one of my favorite people uh, just in life, uh, if you need something and it's like a humanitarian effort or a charitable thing, like Kalani always wants to be involved because he just is a, he cares about people and um, I really appreciate about that, about him and, and what he does to try and help, you know, represent the BYU brand. Um, and frankly, I think that's why your coach, Joey McGuire was so complimentary of, of Kalani in our recent big 12 interviews. And most of the coaches, they just, he's got that warm, engaging personality and um, yeah, he's, he's learned a lot. And, and now the real test begins as a, as a power five coach. So let's get into the roster a little bit. Uh, you mentioned Keaton Slovis uh, quarterback and you're, you're going to be pass happy and, and pass first. So who are some of the skill positions and, and wide receiver you're, you're going to be looking at to, to lean on? Yeah, I think this, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, obviously BYU leans heavily on the quarterback position. They feel like they have a guy who's finally healthy Um who was injured for much of his year at Pittsburgh, but he won't tell you that because that's just not Keaton's personality. But um, he, he feels like he's finally healthy again. His shoulder's healthy. His arm is stronger than it has been in a, about a year and a half. And he feels like he's, he's got the capability to make most of the throws again. So it starts there. Um, but anytime you lose your quarterback to the NFL draft and your top receiver, Puka Nakua, who's now with the Rams, it kind of becomes like, well, gosh, like what else does BYU have left? Um, and uh, they have a guy named Cody Epps 
um, who flirted with the transfer portal for a little bit and was leaning towards maybe some SEC schools, but ultimately stayed at BYU. They return a guy named Chase Roberts, who had a big game against Baylor in the win over the Bears in Provo last year, made a toe-touch grab in the back of the end zone, made some big plays. He's back and healthy, and he's got a guy uh, named Keanu Hill, um, whose dad played at Texas Tech. You know, I, it just – so it kind of comes full circle a little bit there, but Keanu Hills at BYU, um, Texas kid, joining Chase Roberts and Cody Epps. Those, those will be the three primary pass catchers for Keaton Slovis. And then uh, a name that's been slept on for a long time, I feel, because of uh, just a gruesome ankle injury and low, broken lower leg injury he's, he's sustained against USC in 2021 is Isaac Rex. Uh, he was on Mel Kuyper's you know, draft board as one of the top tight ends in the country did not play at more than maybe 50 or 60% health last year. He's back and healthy. So Isaac Rex at tight end is going to be a name to watch out for. And then they bring in a transfer running back from UNLV named Aiden Robbins um, to, to fill a gap that, uh, you know, didn't really get all the way filled up last year. Um, I think they thought Chris Brooks was going to be a guy that could replace Tyler Algier, who's now with the Falcons. It just didn't work out. Um, they feel like Robbins is more geared towards Tyler Algier's physical running style. So, you know, in a perfect world, things are going to go great guys, right? You know, you got a thousand yard rusher, you bring back some nice weapons, uh, at receiver and, and you got a tight end that at one point was a sure, surefire NFL draft pick. They're hoping that health is, can, can maintain. Um, so if you guys know the secret to keeping guys healthy in, in a schedule that where you, you know, play 10 power five games, please tell me so that I can help the strength and conditioning staff at BYU because the injury bug really got BYU last year and um, it, BYU can beat anybody help assumed. Yeah, no, it, 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 it's a struggle for everybody. Yes. Um, and you know, so I, I use this example with everyone, the two teams that played for the big 12 title last year, TCU and Kansas state, both of their starting quarterbacks in that game were not their day one starting quarterbacks. Yeah. And um, I think that's something that maybe especially the newcomers underestimate. They go, well, you know, well, we have a we have a star running back. Well, that's great. But, you know, you need two, three, four guys at certain positions because yeah. um, by game seven, game eight, you know, they're going to have to be called upon to play a little bit, whether somebody's injured or not. I mean, there's just so many, sure. you know, when you play some up-tempo offenses and there's 85, 90 plays in a game, um, having one or two studs isn't enough. You know, you need a deep roster. And that's why I think part of why Texas Tech has struggled so much over the last decade or so until McGuire sure. got here. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned Keanu Hill. Lloyd Hill, I think, is a little bit victim of timing. You know, he he was here at Texas Tech before the true air raid days. And so it's Michael Crabtree and Wes Welker and those guys who get remembered. But if Lloyd Hill was in one of those leech offenses, I mean, his numbers oh, would have been – uh, just outrageous, just like the rest of them. So, I wish For we could sure. have seen that. But um, Did you guys have three quarterbacks that all threw for a thousand yards plus last season, too. Yeah. Um, so our, our day one starter, Tyler Shuck, he got yeah. hurt in the season opener against Murray State. Um, he came back after that to start four more games. So he started five total, and then Donovan Smith started four games. Baron Morton started four games in between. Gosh. So, yeah, all three pretty much played the same exact amount of time. And um, our our best player on last year's team, Tyree Wilson, he was the seventh overall pick to the Raiders. He got hurt with, I think, two games left in Big 12 play. And so yeah. we missed him for about the last quarter of, of conference schedule. Um, 
so yeah, unfortunately it, it happens to everybody. And uh, you know, the really good teams that rise to the top are the ones that have dudes second string on the roster, not just, you know, top line on the depth chart. So um, BYU also, uh, so I think they're sort of uniquely equipped compared to other newcomers that have made the power five transition. Your quarterback has more career starts versus power five competition than anybody in the big 12, not just, you know, among the newcomers and your offensive line looks pretty experienced in that same respect in terms of career starts. And maybe you can help me with the pronunciation, your best offensive lineman, Kingsley Suamataya. Am I close there? Yeah, Kingsley Suamataya is going to be okay. is going to be the star. Yeah, that that's often the challenge, right? Like, so if we can help you, you know, as you prepare for these games, you know, please, like that. I'm happy to help with all of the yes, college needs. We'll need it. I've been studying these for the last decade plus, and and feel pretty confident in it. But yeah, Kingsley Suamataia is is going to lead the charge there for BYU's offensive line. Um, and he's been projected everywhere from number nine overall in the first round of next year's NFL draft to number 28. Uh, we anticipate that he's he's probably going to go, but Connor Payet center, um, and then uh, an influx of some new guys, but they, they come from, you know, different places. Um, Paul Miley was at Utah last year on that Rose Bowl team. He played center for Utah's Rose Bowl team. He's now at BYU. And then Caleb Etienne comes from Oklahoma State. His grades were not good, according to Pro Football Focus last year. Uh, didn't leave exactly on great terms with Mike Gundy, but he comes to Provo with a new refreshed outlook and, and hopefully he can rediscover something special because his frame is incredible. Um, and then he joins a, a core of, you know, some, some BYU guys that, that do have some experience and, and should be okay. But yeah, I mean, your observation is astute. It, it, while BYU lost a great left tackle, um, they, they should be okay. And they should be able to, to create a push up front and if there's one position group that I feel like actually has depth ready for the Big 12, it's probably BYU's offensive line. Outside of that, <laughs> we're, we're hoping that uh, health, health remains good for BYU. But the offensive line, I feel like that group is ready, is, is, is depth tested and ready for the Big 12. All right, let's hit the defensive side. Who are some players to watch for on the defense uh, along the trenches and in the, the backfield there? Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, the biggest question mark I'll tell you right now is BYU's defensive line. Uh, I know that Tyler Batty's getting some preseason accolades as a, a guy that will be second or third team all Big 12. But, man, I, and I I can't paint it in either picture, but BYU's lack of disruption up front on defense in the front seven last year was just straight up bad. Like they just could not get to the quarterback. One of the worst teams in the country in quarterback sacks in those disruptive plays and creating chaos and havoc. It just was really, really not there. And, and it cost BYU. And frank, frankly, it cost their defensive coordinator, Elisa Tuiaki, his job, which is why they had to bring in Jay Hill. But Tyler Batty anchors that defensive line now. They got a transfer from Boise State named Isaiah Banya, who they feel like is going to be a star, like to rival Tyler Batty on the opposite side uh, of the defensive line. And, and they're going to do some nice work, we hope, um, to help get to the quarterback a little bit more. New scheme, new defensive lineup, um, new defensive coordinator. So that should help them also kind of just throw in some more blitz packages. Um Probably means giving up more big plays on the back end because BYU is going to be more aggressive um, and they want to let the big dogs eat to steal an oft-used cliche. 
But at linebacker, uh, they add an experienced linebacker from Utah State named A.J. Vongpachan. He'll join Ben Bywater, um, a guy who had a pick six that really won BYU's bowl game for him last year in the New Mexico Bowl. Sorry, my kids are yelling outside. I'm sure they're getting really excited about all this BYU football talk. Um, but uh, they're trying to break down my defense right here. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> they're not getting through. Um, but uh, th- so those are some of the new names. The best defender, I think, on BYU's team right now is actually a transplant from Weber State University, and he follows Jay Hill. Um, and it, his name is Eddie Heckard. He, he comes as an FCS All-American, a dude that you could see playing on Sundays in the NFL at corner. I think he's BYU's best skilled defender right now. Uh, his ability to to cover one-on-one. He'll be out on an island often. Um, Eddie Heckard's probably, I think, BYU's most skilled and accomplished individual defender. Um, so so he, he probably tops the list, but uh, that list of names I just gave to you, just a lot of transplants. It's, it's a new age. I mean, BYU going into the Big 12, it was like, all right, what can we go get in the transfer portal to try and help this defense that I think according to Bill Connolly's SP Plus final season projections was like 109th out of 131 teams. I mean, and, and bottom – you know, bottom 40 in the country in most major defensive statistical categories. So the good news is for BYU fans that it can't get much worse. And <laughs> we, said that, we said that year after year. <laughs> it can't get worse. You would be surprised. Yeah, yeah. you would be surprised. Touche. Yeah. Uh, maybe I should knock on wood somewhere. Like, yeah, there you go. Um, but they feel like it just it, – in, in some ways they bottomed out last year and, and now there's room to just get better with, with a new defensive coordinator and there's new energy. I mean, sometimes you need a hard reset, right? It just, it just, you needed it with Joey McGuire. You know, you go from Matt Wells to Joey McGuire and the hard reset, it just, it just, that's what you need. It's what a program needs. Yeah. And, and I think BYU's defense should have that. So I don't know. Maybe I'm being, being too optimistic, but I'd, I'd love to see BYU's defense go from 109th overall to, gosh, if they were top 75 guys, like then BYU's probably a bowl team. They probably win seven games. Like, and I don't know. Maybe my blue goggles are on. I'm trying to be the opti realist here, and, and think about what is actually like a reachable goal for BYU. And I think they can be a top 75 defense. Which, when I say that, just kind of sounds pathetic, but. It's, it's, hey, it's where we are right now. We get it. Well, we'll uh, we'll leave you with one more question and then let you get back to your family. Um, I think I speak for a lot of Texas Tech fans when they saw the Big 12 schedule come out. You know, everybody looks for like one big away game or road trip. And I know a lot of them circled Provo on the, on the schedule and are going to make plans to attend that one. So for Texas Tech fans that have never been out that way, um, can you tell us what we need to know about the city of Provo, the game day atmosphere and experience and all that good stuff? You bet. Um, not very difficult to get into Provo, um, uh, especially from, gosh, I, I think you might have to, I'm trying to think, where do, where do most flights connect in Lubbock? Is it through American Airlines? You go through Dallas and then up to Salt Lake City? Is that how that typically works? Because it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that difficult of a flight. But once you get into Salt Lake City, about a 45-minute drive south on Interstate 15. And you guys have seen the pictures. I don't know if your fans have seen the pictures. Like, it is 
the pictures do not do it justice. When you get up in that press box on a fall afternoon and the sun is hitting the back mountain, like the black splash of mountains and those fall colors, those trees are lighting up. It is, and I'm probably biased here, but it has to be one of the top three most beautiful backdrops in all of college football. I, I, I have, I've been to a lot of stadiums and there are some incredible backdrops, but when you see how close to the mountains, Luella Edwards stadium is set in the fall temperatures in the mid sixties, the high seventies, little breeze coming out of the mouth of the Canyon. And it just, it is a spectacular college football setting. So I'm excited for Texas tech fans to visit the stadium. In fact, I was talking to Joey McGuire's uh, sweet wife at media days in Texas. And she mentioned to me, she's like, all of my kids want to go to Provo because they've seen the pictures. They, they want to experience that stadium. We're just hoping it's not an 815 kick. <laughs> and I said, hey, just come, make sure you're there an hour and a half before. You'll still get the full grandeur of that backdrop, and, and you'll see what that stadium can bring and is all about. But um, I think Keaton Slova said it best when he was at USC in a podcast when he was explaining what Provo is like as, as an opposing quarterback. And he's like, dude, it was so weird because they were – they were nice to me. Like I was expecting, I was expecting them to boo me and they did exactly the opposite. And I thought that was like, so he's like, it almost, it played even more of a mental game with me. It, it was weird. Um, but just nice fans, honestly, Texas tech, I think is going to have a great season guys. I mean, it's just for me, my outside perspective. I, I feel like you were picked fourth. I I'd put you, I legitimately would put you in the top three. Um, I think Texas Tech is going to be great this year. If you come into Provo and beat BYU on their homecoming night, um, the BYU fans will congratulate you the whole way to the bus. Like that's, that's just how it goes. Like, Hey, great game. We'll be rooting for you the rest of the way. You were awesome tonight. Your coach is awesome. Your quarterback is an incredible player. Like they'll be disappointed that BYU lost, but they will see you. And they, it's like their coping mechanism. Like, I'm going to cope by being kind and wishing them well the rest of the way. And they legitimately will root. for If you beat BYU, they will root for you to win every game the remainder of the season. And it is genuine. So call it weird, call it whatever. But I anticipate that, that Texas Tech fans, and if you guys are there, you will find that, that Provo is, is a great place to watch college football game. Um, a lot of great food. Make sure you get the 18 inch maple bar donut. It's called a cougar tail, uh, Bam Bam's barbecue. According to Andre Ware, the great Andre Ware from Houston, who won the Heisman trophy and Adam Amin, who's a guy who's been on ESPN is calling NFL games. Those two guys are like, it's the best barbecue West of the Mississippi, you know? And I know that's sacrilege when you talk to Texas guys, right? Sacrilege, but they, their words. So Bam Bam Barbecue, great place to check out. J-Dogs, great restaurant to check out. Um, and then make sure you get that, you know, the chocolate mint brownie that's served at the stadium or the 18-inch maple bar donut called the Cougar Tail. Uh, maybe some, some BYU creamery ice cream. You're all, you're all set. Frankly, if you're sitting in the uh, students or the visitor section, they pass out free ice cream in the third quarter. So to the, to the opponents. I love Provo. <laughs> so hey even if you're kicking even you're kicking BYU's butt say you're up three touchdowns like hey you're playing well have some ice cream too 
it's Loved. It's, just, it's just the way they do things. Um, but yeah, I, I think Texas Tech fans and all the Big 12 fans, if, if you're traveling to Provo, you'll enjoy the scenery, the setting, the people, and um, a great football environment. Utah is a college football state with Utah and BYU leading the charge there. It just, we love college football and we're so excited to be in the Big 12. So yeah, come and enjoy. And uh, if you win, then just expect to be complimented the whole way out. Well, we can't wait. We're looking forward to it. Ah, as am I. Appreciate you guys. Absolutely. Tell the tell the people where they can find you and follow along. Okay, so I host a daily show on BYU TV. It's on Sirius XM channel 143, so it's a simulcast. Uh, we call it Radio Vision, but um, so you can listen to us on podcast on live on Sirius XM, or you can watch the show on on BYU TV, which is available in 70 million homes nationwide. Typically, it's free in most simple cable packages. You can also stream it online, uh, byusn.com. But um, that is 11 a.m. Central Time and 10 a.m. Mountain Time every day. We're coming up on episode 2600. We've been doing it almost 10 years daily. Wow. We're the only live show on BYU TV and BYU Radio on a daily basis. Um, and we're so grateful, so grateful to be in the position we are. But yeah, BYUSN.com is a place to go uh, for, for anything you might need. And uh, I'm sure we'll be asking you guys at some point to probably hop on and preview the Red Raiders as we approach uh, October 21st. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, you got it, guys. Take care. Thank you, Spencer. All right. That was uh, Spencer Lenton from BYU Sports Nation. Um, really enjoyed that talk. I, I'm so excited for BYU. Uh, I know – all the schools are going to be great, but I, I really am excited about BYU, and I think they can make a, a good transition here. All right, Kyle, let's get on to it. Uh, I did go to Rojino Barbecue today, and uh, they have the new brick and mortar open. So that's great. Uh, they're going to be open. See if I remember this. I texted it to you so I'd remember. Tuesdays through Saturdays, 11 to 8. That's the barbecue restaurant. And then the market, which is kind of next door, but in the same building, uh, they've got some fresh produce. They've got some sandwiches, salads, chips, milk, uh, kind of the, they've got some ice cream on the way. Uh, the, 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 the barbecue market, they called it. They've got some sides, the, the cream corn, the potato salad, the Mac, the Mac salad, uh, all of those things. Uh, seven days a week. So you can go to Rojino Barbecue seven days a week now. And apparently they have some competition west of the Mississippi for the That's for true. the title of best barbecue. That's true. Some competition. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to compare notes when we go to Provo. We've got now dueling barbecue restaurants. We have a comment about the flatness of Lubbock versus that scenic mountain backdrop that almost brought a tear to my eye as Spencer was describing it. And then, of course, the fan – the fan experience, like, I'm not sure. I mean, I've told people in Lubbock, good game, you know, after taking the L. But I've never given anybody free ice cream or, like, gone up and shook their hand and, like, oh, we just love your coach. Um, so, yeah, that I feel like going to a football game in Provo might be a totally separate universe type feeling. But I, I look forward to it. Absolutely. And uh, looking forward to some new things maybe in 2024 as uh, we get that news today. 
Yeah. I mean, where do you want to even start with all that? I feel like any any realignment uh, always just it's domino after domino. So where do you want to go with that conversation? Uh, let's oh man, how how aggressive do we want to be here? Do we want to go back to Wilner's conversation? Do we want to go back to some of the Canzano stuff we've read? Uh, do we want to talk about Tony Altimore? Or do we just say, like we thought all along, Colorado knew that the Big 12 was a better direction and they've joined the party? Do we want to take the high road, Kyle? I mean, we always do, right? We always do. <laughs> The high road gauchos. Uh, so I'll say this. Going back two years ago, when Texas and OU left, I was like, we got to get to the pack. Like, that's where the USC, UCLA, Oregon. And when it became clear that they had no interest in that, I was like, well, I don't know what you do now. I guess what you did, which is cobble together the best from the group of five and and make do with that. And then a year later, USC, UCLA do exactly what Texas know you did. And I'm thinking like, okay, are we looking at like a merger now? Or are they going to rethink expansion? Or are we going to be able to pull some of them from the Pac-12 to the Big 12? And the more this went on, I mean, I guess that my thoughts on it sort of ebbed and flowed based on the, the news cycle of that week or month. But for the most part, I thought that the Pac-12 would stay at 10 teams and just – sign a bad TV deal, whether that was giving up some money or giving up exposure by going streaming. And so I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, I knew all along that Colorado was coming because I I thought they would do what they did last time, which was make a financially bad move. I think it has been calculated they lost about $70 million over the last decade by being in the pack instead of the Big 12. Yep. Um, but at the same time, I can say I wasn't fully right on this. Now, if the Pac-10 just adds SMU and then all this is over, like that's not a huge landscape shift type realignment, then maybe you could say, okay, well, the Pac-10 is more or less intact. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say I was right all along. But I also, for the last year on Twitter, wasn't calling anybody else who disagreed with me a conspiracy theorist, 12 and on, clickbaiter, liar, truck stop, flyover, academics, yada, yada, yada. And so I'm not a professional at this. I'm a fan who has a podcast. But there were professionals whose names are John Canzano. <laughs> on, I was re-listening to this before coming on the pod today. Mid-June, he's doing his Canzano and Wilner podcast. And he explicitly says, you know, when all this is over with, and it, he's, of course, under the impression that the Pac-12 is going to sign a deal and there's going to be no movement. He said, we need to have accountability for YouTube clickbaiters and people who are lying to try to destabilize the pack and blah, blah, blah. Now, is he referring to people like us? I don't know. Is he referring to like MH Ver? But he brought up what I think is like a borderline conspiracy theory that the consultant working with the Big 12 was being paid to undermine the Pac-12 and get these news headlines out there that were incorrect or misleading only to destabilize the Pac-12. And so it, if we're calling for accountability, let's go to the people who said there's no way any Pac-12 school is going to leave for the Big 12, that it can't happen. Nobody's ever left the better academic conference for the worst academic conference. 
you know, at least one is coming. And if we are to believe there's a domino, I mean, we might really be dunking on these guys a couple weeks from now. And so that's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the one saying like, it's time to go dunk on everybody. I hope you kept your receipts. They're the ones who have been saying for months now, we're going to have accountability when all this is over with like, okay, well, let's go time. Like, and all John Canzano has said for himself today was an eyeball emoji at the news that Colorado was leaving. And so he's probably going to cower away from taking any accountability on this. And who knows what justification he'll have or spin he'll have. There are others. Altimore blocked us for um, insinuating, but not saying that he was paid off by the Pac-12. I'm sure this USC guy who's now a Big Ten fan was just making all these misleading graphs and charts on Twitter for no reason at all. Um, but anyway, that by the way, do what still is. That's kind of my thought on it right now is like, Clearly, the people who were absolutists on this and said nobody's ever going to leave, there's the Big Twelve is not going to add anyone, were wrong. And I'll also say on, on Canzano, just he's the one I was listening to before uh, doing this episode with you, had such a condescending view toward your mark and saying things like, you know, I'm doing my best to paraphrase accurately, but like, you know, well maybe that was his only his only shot at this or strategy was to go the destabilized route. And, you know, he's this salesman guy. And so we expect this from him. And it was like this pat on the head, like, well, you fired the only shot in your chamber. You did all you could, but still nobody's coming to the big 12. And I'm like, you guys have been led to believe by your own commissioner that this deal is coming. In yeah. two weeks, yes. after Christmas, before spring break, after the tournament, two weeks soon, the near future. And it has never come. So don't tell me that our commissioner is a snake oil salesman. Our commissioner has a TV deal, and our commissioner is on the verge, probably as of tomorrow morning, going to have poached a school from your conference. And your commissioner, Pac-12, was the one saying, well, I haven't decided if I'm going to go shopping in the Big 12 yet. So if it's time for reckoning and accountability and all that, let's do it. The only thing I ever put out there was uh, Pac-12 versus Big 12 apples to apples TV ratings. And I knew what the data said. I knew that more people watch the Big 12 when you control for all the proper variables. So if it's accountability time, let's go. And we'll start with John Canzano, TJ Altimore, and George Klyavkov. Yeah, I was about to say, do you know who needs to be held accountable? George Klyavkov. Because he is in Bob Bowlesby territory of ruining uh, conference and they all crowned him after Larry Scott because Larry Scott was so dadgum bad that uh, oh, Larry Scott killed the conference. Anything that Clive Kauf is doing is just coming back from what Larry Scott buried us in. No, Clive Kauf doesn't own a shovel, he can't dig you out, he's stuck in the mud and doesn't know what to do with it. And at every turn, he's been wrong or your presidents didn't allow him to do anything. When Texas and Oklahoma left, he could have expanded, but USC and UCLA said no. Then they left, and he could have expanded, but Stanford and Cal said no. Every step, this guy's been wrong. He doesn't know what he's doing. He has been lying, and if anyone is going around uh, spreading disinformation, as they like to call it, they're in Pac-12 land. It's the Pac-12 writers who have known all along, I'm sure, that nothing is coming, and they still say it again and again and again. Nothing's coming. There's no deal. There's no deal. 
the deal is it's buried somewhere underground next to Jimmy Hoffa. Like that's where the deal is. (laughs) Uh, There's no deal. It was never two weeks away. Okay. I'll I'll backtrack. I bet they had an offer that they knew was so bad. It wasn't palatable. And so they never formalized and they were like, Oh, well, we'll go find a different partner or we'll go back to the table and get 10% more, or we'll play on Fridays. And, and so George kept telling them, Hey, just wait two more weeks. Like we're almost there. And this super brain genius academic conference with all the West coast Ivy league schools or whatever they call Stanford, West coast Ivy uh, was apparently either too dumb to figure that out, or they were just in on the misleading. They don't care. They don't care. They don't care about athletics. This is an athletics deal to do a TV market for athletics games and they do not care about athletics. They're like, oh, we have to go to another athletics meeting about this athletics TV thing. Why? Why Why do we have to do this again? The other thing, not to pile on Canzano, but he's just kind of been oh, at pile. the forefront of this. <laughs> go off, King. Um, it, it, do you know what the term unfalsifiable means? I could put what? it together, I think. Like, I'm not trying to get political, but like on climate change, for example. Like, if there are more hurricanes, that's because of climate change. If there are no hurricanes, that's because of climate change. If it's really hot, climate change. If it's really cold, climate change. So it's an unfalsifiable, the way it's used sometimes. Like, you can never prove or disprove it because, like, no matter what the weather is outside, it's climate change. That's that's what Kenzano did, but it was like, any no matter what happened, you remember that the headline format he ran with, it was like, why this is actually bad for the Big 12. And it was yeah. like, so... To refresh everybody's memory, the Big 12's TV deal expires a year after the Pac-12s. It was set to before, you know, all the all the motion on this. So if the, you know, in a relative sense, if everybody was on the same timeline, the Pac-12 would be exactly one year ahead of the Big 12. And like two weeks after, I think the Pac-12 started renegotiating their deal, the Big 12 announced it was opening its exclusive window. And it was like, well, what, what took so long? Like, well, we're 11 and a half months ahead of you guys. And and then it was like, okay, the Big 12 gets a deal. And I think it was announced in October. At this point, the Pac-12 has been at it about three or four months, no deal. And he goes, well, you know, they they hurried. You know, they went too fast. And um, they, and they left a lot of money on the table. You know, so the Pac-12 will, will get a more lucrative deal. Well, here we are nine months after that. And George just said last week, the longer they wait, the better it gets. So it must be getting super sweet. And if that's true, I mean, wait till the day before next college football season starts to sign it. Maybe they'll pass the Big Ten and the SEC. But Canzano was also the one like, oh, well, they didn't really get started on this till December because they were still trying to see if UCLA would come back. And he's also the guy that was like, well, if they want to go to 14, they can add Rice because there's 3 million television sets in Houston. And it became apparently obvious this guy has no clue what he's talking about. That's not how it works. If you add Rice to the Pac-12, there aren't 3 million TV sets in Houston that just flip on to the Rice football game. Like, the trouble with that is that nobody in Houston wants to watch Rice football. Otherwise, it would have been in the Big Ten a long time ago. Like, Houston could – Big Ten could have had a Houston foothold if it was that simple. Rice meets the academic criteria for the Big Ten. And so he's just like, oh, well, like, Colorado leaves. Just add Colorado State and, uh, you know, add the Houston market with Rice – it's like, dude, Alabama doesn't get ratings because the Tuscaloosa TV market has a bunch of TV sets. They get ratings because they're, they're really good at football and everybody in the country wants to watch them. And so 
his reporting, it, it, it became clear he had probably one or two sources from the schools in the Pac-10 least likely to have a, a life raft if things went wrong. And so he's like, oh, well, the Washington State president told me that everything is fine and that the deal is two weeks away. He just reported that over and over, no matter what the news was, why this is actually good for the Pac-12 that USC is leaving and why it's actually good for the Pac-12 that you know, their games are going to be on ION or the CW and why it's actually good for the Pac-12 that the Big 12 has more money than the ACC. It's just ridiculous stuff. And again, this is the guy most loudly calling for accountability on how people have commented and reported on this whole realignment saga. And you have guys like Stuart Mandel who talked about the Big 12 carcass early on in the, in the, the storyline. And you have Pac-12 fans saying, well, why, why are Big 12 fans talking about our death? Why are, we, why are we getting – why are they so mean to us? Well, for one, Big 12 fans are mean. They're toxic, uh, except for BYU fans. Uh, everyone else is mean. Get used to it. Uh, very, maybe passionate is a better word, but it, it just – it still fires me up that Mandel and Canzano and Wilner were so wrong, so wrong for so long. And then you have guys like Brett McMurphy, who they were clowning, and Dennis Dodd, who was wrong early and then self-corrected because he's smart and figured it out as well. But I, I don't know. It just – the whole thing is just so gratifying that Colorado allegedly is coming to the Big 12. And now, allegedly, uh, you know, Oregon is on the books. Well, yeah, I, I want to get into that um, in a minute. You said something else that reminded me of um, – I guess I forgot – I'm really I'm I'm gonna re-listen to this whole Kenzano and Wilner podcast. Oh, it was Mandel. He said the Big Twelve. He said twelve million per year is ambitious for the Big Twelve, and you wind wind up getting like triple that basically. Yeah, thirty two million on TV plus the bowl payouts, the March Madness payouts. Um, yeah, talked about the carcass of the Big Twelve. The Big Twelve when Texas and OU left. Um, so Colorado, Nebraska left first, and then A&M, Mizzou to the SEC, and then Texas OU to the SEC. Not a single time did any national reporter shed a tear, say, well, this is bad for college football, the overconsolidation. We shouldn't be rooting for the demise of a conference. And then when it happens to the Pac-12 for the first time, it's like, well, this isn't good for the sport, and all college football fans should be upset about this. It's like, no. Like, had you not done this to us, literally left us for dead, I wouldn't have, like, I don't have beef with the Pac-12. I don't really know or care about any schools out there. I mean, I want Arizona to be in the same conference as Tech, which I'll get into in a minute, but I don't have animosity towards Stanford or Oregon State. I mean, I'm, I'm just, like, totally neutral towards them. But when your fans on Twitter basically say, eh, uh, there was a Cal fan. He said that people in the middle of the United States uh, do not conduct themselves with enough class to be in the Pac-12, he was like, well, from my experience living in California, there's a certain amount of class that we're accustomed to. Um, the academic stuff, you're too stupid to be in our conference, more yeah. or less. Mm -hmm. uh, the truck stop, the flyover. I mean, just straight up condescension, name calling. And they're like, oh, well, why are you guys being so mean to us? Like, well, 
like, sorry, there's a bit of a chip on our shoulder from yeah. the last decade plus of everything. And I know your nose was so high that you could have drowned in a rainstorm. But in John Canzano's words, like it's accountability time, it's reckoning time. So sorry if we weren't nice enough to you on Twitter after you just like shat on the places that we're all from and the people we all associate with and the schools we all attended. I'm sorry we weren't nicer to you, but not really. Yeah, not really at all. Uh, Ryan says, take their credentials. Shelly says, not mean, proud, still <laughs> downfall. Uh, Jackson says, uh, Kyle spit. And I think that was during the uh, climate change talk. The the part that I do find legitimately funny is the academic chest pounding and then how stupid they played their hand of cards in this. Like, if you're going to browbeat everybody about how much smarter you are, maybe don't operate like the dumbest of the Power Five conferences. I mean, you hear the 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 saying, uh, oh, he's playing 4D chess while they're playing checkers. The Pac-12 has been playing checkers. What, what's dumber than checkers? Tiddlywinks. <laughs> They, yeah, they've been playing uh, pull the stick, <laughs> and you know that game with the marbles, and you pull the stick, and then you try to keep the marbles on top. I, I mean, they just backgammon. What is it? What is the dumbest game? Mancala. They don't know what they're doing. Mahjong. That's just a matching game, right? It, candy. Yeah, they've been playing Candyland over there. Rob, get the air horn ready. Do you have it ready? I've got two words for you, George Klavkov. Go fish! It's just a brutal, brutal... Like, you're going to look back at the 30 for 30 on the Pac-12 and say, how did they miss so, so bad at every turn? I mean, they could have they could have gotten four Big 12 schools initially when Texas, Oklahoma were left for dead or merged. They could have merged and and had the Pac-20, and you could have been done with it and left three schools behind or four schools behind so, and, and, and been, been the best conference you could have been. That is the funniest part to me is, like, because they didn't expand, they could have delivered the death blow to the Big 12. They had every opportunity. By taking four, six, eight, whatever. And I'm not trying to talk down on any schools, but – like, it's funny to me that UCF in the Big 12 is going to make more money than Florida State in the ACC. It's like, you left us no choice but to elevate UCF and Cincinnati to the Power Five. And now schools like Oregon State, Washington State, that have been in the Power Five or whatever, it, you know, its former version was for almost a century, you know, in the Pac-8 or whatever it was called. Like, you're now going to be relegated because of your own hubris. You were too good to associate with Texas Tech and Oklahoma State and BYU because they're Mormon. And now, like, sorry, we're, we moved on. We're with UCF and Cincinnati and BYU and Houston. And y'all can come to the Big 12 if you want, if you bring pro Rata like uh, Colorado does. But otherwise, like, sorry, Cal. Sorry, Oregon State. You're, you had your shot twice and didn't take it. So, And I, I don't want to let uh, Arizona off. I don't want to let Colorado off. They could have come initially. They had the opportunities a year later when USC left. They could have bailed on the Pac-12 a year ago and been here this year. They could have made the move this year. But no, we got to wait around another season. I guess they would have been waiting around a season anyways, but still and, and, could have been listed. And this is where this is a good segue because I think we both want to speculate on what comes next. 
if Colorado comes, which has been reported as like 98% happening tomorrow, Thursday morning, um, let's assume a domino falls and one more team comes with them, whether it's Arizona or whoever. Like at that point, you would think, unless Oregon and Washington have like Big Ten invites and, you know, like, so I'm not talking about those schools, but you would think Utah and Arizona State and Oregon State, whoever, are like crawling over broken glass for a 50% share in the Big 12 because there's no more Pac-12. You, you can't have an eight-team conference. And you can't add UNLV, Colorado State, and SMU to make it all go away. So th- that's where I, like, I would – maybe this isn't the way you get off on the right foot with new conference members. But if I'm your mark, I'm like, yeah, you can come to the Big 12 for a 25% payout, Utah. Like, we've been inviting you for a year, and you could have come for pro rata, 100%, you know, what everybody else got, and you, you were too good for it. So now your option is to go to the Mountain West or 25% of the Big 12, take it or leave it. And that's still more money than what the Pac-12 is going to make. Yeah, I mean, like, if there is a Pac-12 entity, I, I don't know if there will be, depending on how many dominoes fall. That's one thing that I think will always exist is the pack something. Uh, I think if they, I don't think the Mountain West would eat the Pac-12. I think the Pac-12 would eat the Mountain West. But it's you like, um, first off, the Pac brand at this point is a meme, and not like, to them. <laughs> well, not to uh, writers. There's still a lot of history there. Yeah, I guess there's all gone voices in their heads, but like so. Is San Diego State going to pay $34 million to basically just go to a rebranded Pac-12 that's not a power conference? Yeah. Maybe. I, I, I guess we'll see. But uh, I think – State would finally uh, accept that offer? Yeah. I, I don't know, man. All right, so let, let's get wild with speculation. And I don't know if you want to talk about what we were told a couple weeks ago, maybe – coming to fruition here or if we don't want to get into that on the podcast but yeah let's do it so two weeks ago uh i think july 13th we got a a call on a text saying that like colorado was a done deal i don't i don't know if it was a done deal two weeks ago but it certainly gave off the impression like yes they're committed to joining the big 12 i think they said that there was like you know, the legal paperwork, all that crap to do before we got to this point today where it's being widely reported as a done deal. And if you remember it the same way, we were told that UConn was still very much in the picture and like they might be next and that the Big 12 was holding spots for Oregon and Washington, which like, is that significant? It sounds significant, but also kind of no duh, right? The Big 12 isn't going to say, oh, shucks, we filled up on spots. Sorry, Oregon and Washington, we don't have any room for you. Right. So like, does that actually mean anything? I don't know. But that was what we were told. Those were the teams. It was UConn, Oregon, and Washington. Not that they're coming to the Big 12, but those were just school names that were relayed to us on a phone call. At the same time, we were told that Colorado was, like, all in on this. Yeah, and I don't hate UConn if that's the next school, but I hate UConn if that's the last school. Does that make sense? Like, I think UConn- so. If UConn is a part of a basketball conference that also has Arizona or a part of a football conference that also has Oregon, I'm not so upset. But if UConn is the next team and then the last team and you don't you don't grow anymore after that, like soon, I think that's a bit of a letdown. Yeah, my answer is the same as 
I can't remember who we were talking with, but they kind of asked us like what we wanted to see next. And I said, like, I want some closure with the Pac-12 before you look at UConn. Like, do, is Colorado the only one coming? Do you have two schools, four schools, six schools coming? I think the only ones that you would say no thanks to would be like Oregon State and Washington State. Because I think like even if one or both of Stanford and Cal said, hey, we want in the Big 12, which I don't think is going to happen, you would have to be like, okay, well, like, yeah, do we want into California? Stanford's a really big brand. I don't know. Um, but I would I would make sure that you run the traps west before thinking about UConn. And then when it's all said and done, whether you have a 14-team or an 18-team Big 12, if you want to look at UConn, maybe with Gonzaga, if you have enough teams out west as basketball only, if you have a basketball conference that has Gonzaga, Arizona, Kansas, Houston, Baylor, and UConn in it, that's that's pretty – and that's to say nothing of like Iowa State and Oklahoma State's history, Texas Tech's run over the go. last five years or so. Uh, BYU, I think, has kind of decent history. Oregon is – so I, I don't know. Like you start thinking about all that and it, it gets kind of crazy. But um, – to the Oregon-Washington part of this, you know, those are kind of like the crown jewels that are out there. Jason Shear, who, by the way, cue the dashboard confessional, he is vindicated uh, to a great extent today. And he kind of hinted like there's a school not in the four corners that is looking pretty hard at Big 12 membership right now. I don't know if he meant Oregon or Washington. I don't know if that's been clarified since. Um, but it sounds like there could be something beyond just Colorado or just Colorado and Arizona. Um, what do you, what do you think could happen? What do you want to see happen out West? My, my dream is still four pack 12 schools. And if right now it's Arizona, Oregon and Washington joining Colorado, I am all in all in on that. Um, if it's just one more school and Oregon ditches Washington for the sure thing and Washington wants to sit on their hands and wait for the big 10 still, um, good luck. Because I think if Oregon joins, you would be able to go back to the table with, uh, some TV partners and maybe say, Hey, we have Oregon now. What else can we do? Yeah. I, so the big 10 keeps coming up with Oregon and Washington, and I get big time Kansas and big 10 vibes like Kansas fans probably right now still think they have a shot at big 10 membership. And the reality is the big 10 could have invited them in 2010 in 2011 and 2012, or at any point over the last few years. And they haven't like, sorry, but when USC and UCLA got invitations to the Big Ten, if the Big Ten wanted four schools on the West Coast, they would have just invited Oregon and Washington at that time. It tells me that either Oregon and Washington aren't valuable enough to pull their weight in the media contract, or USC and UCLA told them, we don't want Big Ten competition on the West Coast. We want to be your exclusive flagship on the West Coast. And so Oregon and Washington are off the table, and Stanford for that matter. And so I don't think it's as simple as like, oh, well, if Arizona and Arizona State also join the Big 12, then Oregon and Washington will just jump to the Big 10. Like they don't have an invitation. They, they've never had one. If the Big 10 wanted them, they would be in the Big 10. Unless they work some kind of deal where, where the Big 10 says, hey, you've got nowhere left to go now, so we're going to give you a 50% share. Maybe that could happen. But until – I don't know. That just seems the a little bit – The guy that was chasing expansion is gone. 
Yeah, and it, it just seems unprecedented. Like nobody in the Power Five, other than when you're a new member to the conference and you go up to 100%, but nobody agrees to just take less money in perpetuity. And earlier today, before the Colorado stuff, there were there was reporting that, that the Big Ten said, we're not focused on expansion anymore. We're focused on transitioning USC and UCLA into the conference successfully. So I'm, I'm just skeptical of the, oh, it's as easy as Oregon and Washington going to the Big Ten. And if they don't have anywhere to go, uh, like they might not want to go to the Big 12, but they might not have another option if if enough schools jump before them and they don't have a Big Ten invite. If you could, if, if you, are you pausing, Kyle? If you could only add one school um, to make it 14 instead of 16, would that be Oregon? Uh, also, going back to some comments, uh, ready to laugh, Kanzano was on the radio when the news broke and he was speechless and panicking. The podcast of it is up now. That's going to be good to listen to. Uh, Chase says the Monty show was saying that the big 10 vetted Cal Stanford, Oregon and Washington as a full package to add. I just don't believe that. It they would make- be there right now. Yeah. And Cal and Stanford, they don't care. Like if you move conferences, it's because you want your athletic department to be better. They don't care. Uh, Canyon, am I the only one that thinks Oregon State is a good ad? Uh, I don't. At, at this point, I well, I don't think they're like a bad ad. I, I think at this point, you you shoot for better yeah, compared, teams compared to Oregon. Yeah, like you you wait till Oregon, Washington, and the Four Corners till you know, and then like if you if you need a second team out west to pair with Colorado because you don't want UConn or something, then. I, um, I'm not opposed to looking at them. I do. Uh, I do think I could be wrong. Here. I'm not trying to like spread fake news, but you talked about renegotiating the TV deal. I read something today for the first time that there's a clause in the Big 12 contract that if we go into a new time zone, which at this point you're in all three except the Pacific time zone, uh, that would reopen the contract. So like if you just need to take one school in the Pacific time zone because you think you can get more money than like yeah, take Oregon State or Wazoo or whoever. But I, I floated that out there as like a way to get others to jump. Like I would take Oregon State and Washington State if it meant collapsing the Pac-12. But now it looks like you might collapse it by taking Colorado and maybe Arizona. So I would hold off on Oregon State for now. I, you know what? They've collapsed themselves. I, I don't want to say that the Big 12 is collapsing anything or killing anything. They've killed themselves. Because they don't have a TV deal. What, what are you taking them away from? Nothing. And for what it's worth, Colorado's coming home to the Big 12. So That's true. I don't, I don't really t- – that's going to be the narrative. That's going to be the conversation, I'm sure. But it just doesn't make any sense to me. I do think – you asked me if I could only have one besides Colorado. I would have to do some more. It would be Oregon or Washington. Uh, again, referencing our friend Jason Shear. He tweeted something a while back that the TV partners actually view Washington as more valuable than Oregon. I don't know where he got that from. I don't know if it's true. If it is true, I would say just take Washington because it's kind of it's all about the Benjamins. But I don't know. Um, I I really want Arizona. Was that the is that the market thing? 
What? The Washington the Washington market is bigger than the Eugene market. Is that no? No, he tweeted that Washington was more valuable to the TV executives and the media partners than Oregon was as a program. Yeah, surprising. So, as you know, Rob, I'm a big border conference guy, big border conference remember and respecter. Texas Tech has a history with Arizona. They've actually played Arizona more times in program history than 11 of their past, current, and future Big 12 opponents. And so if Arizona were to join with Colorado, besides like your in-state and Oklahoma State, Arizona would be the one that you have the most history with. And so even our current conference, basically we've been in with a quarter century now, like Kansas State, Iowa State, you have more history with Arizona. So I would love to see them. I'm kind of, yeah, I'm hoping that Arizona flinches and comes with Colorado. And then once you have those two, I think maybe you can make a pretty serious play for Oregon and Washington. Those would certainly be in some order, like my top four. And I think if you got those four, you tell Arizona State and Utah, too bad. You had your shot. My, uh, my wish right now, I think, would be getting to 16 teams and Arizona, Oregon, and don't care who else would be the third. UConn, Arizona State, whoever I've, else. I've long wanted the Arizona schools as a, as a duo. I would take either Arizona school over Colorado. But I, I do thank Colorado for being the first to finally – realize that the TV deal is not coming their way and, and to jump. Um, but like in an ideal world, it already, it already looks like Colorado's coming, so this isn't going to happen. But I would have taken the two Arizonas and Oregon and Washington and called it a day. But shout out to Colorado for having the stones to actually do it. All right. Are you ready for a mailbag? I think so. Did we did we cover everything we needed to speculation-wise? I think so. Somebody asked, uh, could y'all see Arizona State join oh. the Big 12? I, I just – I don't know at this point. I, yeah, I think I think if Oregon and Washington go Big 10, the pack is done, and then you would get Arizona State and Utah and be done with it. But I think I think there might be like four spots, and if, if you can get Oregon and Washington, I think Arizona State might be on the outside looking in. But one other thing you said, Rob, that I did want to touch on, on the idea of reopening the TV negotiations. I I don't know what the language is there. I don't know if there's an automatic trigger. I don't know how amenable Fox and ESPN would be to say like, Hey, yeah, we'll just reopen it and potentially pay you more than what we've already agreed to and signed for, for six or seven years. But if you add enough inventory, it seems like it would either need to get reworked or you could get an additional partner. And if you remember part of the PAC 12 struggles was that like, okay, Amazon, they were throwing out as a potential streaming partner. Well, Amazon didn't want what's called tonnage, which means they didn't want to carry four Pac-12 games every Saturday. They wanted one game of the week. And it was like the opposite with Apple. Apple wanted all or nothing, and the Pac-12 didn't want to be all streaming. So we know Amazon has an interest in streaming college football. We know that you're going to have to play on weeknights, especially if you're a 14-team or 16-team conference. Not everybody can play Saturday or if they do get ready for a lot of ESPN plus, but I would rather be on Amazon prime and get marketed and build as some game of the week on a Friday night on Amazon or, you know, two games Friday night, one is on ESPN and then after dark on ESPN two or something. So I I feel like there's meat on the bone, especially if you do get that Pacific time zone, 
you've got After Dark, you've got Amazon, you've got Weeknights. I'm not talking Max, I'm talking like Friday, ideally. Um, but I, I feel like you you have a, a case there to go back to the TV partners or rope in new partners and say, we want more, we have more inventory now, what can we do? Because we're new time slots, new days of the week. And I, I feel like you could go back and get more. Yeah, more, maybe not more direct money, but more opportunity. Does that make sense? It, it all leads to more money, but you're not just getting for the same deal more money for the same deal. You're getting a new deal, which would include more linear or different linear or streaming. Or you just allow them to let you add Amazon or Apple or whoever else isn't going to go to that uh, Pac-12 deal. I mean, it just stands to reason if you say like, okay, we were going to have two or three games a week that we're on the big channels, Fox, ABC, ESPN, and the rest is going to be FS1, ESPN+. Plus. But if we say, hey, we have 16 teams of inventory now, not 12, you know, we're open to doing one after dark every week or one more on Friday every week. You know, if you're after dark, it's not going to be ESPN+. Plus. It's going to be ESPN and it's going to get more viewers than that same game being played at 11 a.m. on FS1 or ESPN+. Plus. So, I mean, it, it, I just don't see a way where you're not – bringing more value to the media partners with 16 teams and some of them in the Pacific time zone. And so I, I, I feel like you'd be leaving a little bit of money on the table if you just said, okay, yeah, we'll stay at 32 million. Cause I, I think you'd be worth more than that. If you make some of these additions, um, if others follow Colorado. Uh, I think people are a little high on Oregon state football. They were good last year. Um, but two wins, five wins, two wins, one win, four win, two win, five wins, seven win, nine. Like they're good once every 10 years. They had a really good run when I was in high school and college. Um, but they've got a lot of one win, two win, three win seasons in the pack. I don't know. I, I just don't think they have pull that – does anything now i i don't think colorado generally does either right now but historically colorado is a great ad because it's the first domino and they actually did it and that allows other dominoes to fall because they're coming back to texas where they were much better and much more uh, viable on the recruiting trail and it's uh, kind of a good for both kind of thing you uh, you tweeted something. I don't think you were terribly serious, but you said like you know Colorado's in the bag. It's time for Nebraska to come home. I I don't think that'll happen now, but a decade from now, if if Colorado is winning with recruits in Texas and the money is closer, I wonder if Nebraska and and if Nebraska is still bad at that point, would they go? Hey man, we haven't won in twenty years. Yeah, let's let's go back and play. Especially if somebody would come with them, and who knows what the landscape would look like then. But if Colorado is kind of like a model of going back to the Big Twelve and they find success, would Nebraska, Mizzou, A and M, Texas, or whoever, you know, like if they're if they go seven and five every year in the ACC, they're like, hey man, let's go back and play. Like when OU say, let's go back and play Nebraska, Colorado, Oklahoma State, and make the same amount of money we would in the SEC if the dollars are even by that point. I don't know if they would be. Well, people keep uh, commenting, oh, the uh, the Big Ten 
has more money, the Big Ten revenue, $100 million. That deal's not done still. Right? No, they – yeah, they kind of, I think, made some promises. Here's the other thing that pissed me off about the reporting the whole time. When it's the Big 12 dollar amount getting discussed, it's only the TV number. Yeah. $31.7 million. When it's the Big 10 and SEC, it's, oh, $100 million. But that's the all-in projection of what they'll make after TV – bowl games, college football playoff, March Madness. And so the Big 12's estimates, I think like Mac Rhodes from Baylor, uh, their athletic director said, we're going to eclipse 50 million. And so that, I mean, that doesn't take into account other revenue streams we've talked about that your mark could capitalize on. And so it's two different numbers. Like their TV is 70-ish, we think. But even that, I think, has been jeopardized. Like they, I think they sold a certain number of conference championship games to uh, not Fox, and Fox was like, well, hey, wait a minute. Like, we were supposed to get 10 conference championship games, and now you're saying that, like, half are going to be on Fox, half are on CBS, or, or whatever the case was. So, no, I think they're actually still ironing that out. And their TV number is not $100 million. That's their all-in number. Right. And still four or five years away. Yeah. Because they're still at 60 or 70. And that's what – yeah. So, if they're – if it doesn't quite pan out at 70, which was, like, the big – astronomical number let's say it's 65 or, or 68 after they iron out all those details and let's say you reopen yours and you can get it to like 40 after oregon washington come and you've got after dark content and amazon ponies up if you're at 40 and they're at 68 that's a lot different than 31 versus 70 like you went from being more than doubled up to like maybe we're not quite in the same neighborhood but we're in the same zip code and i don't know i feel like you you could do quite a bit in terms of evening things out a little bit versus where you thought you would be two years ago or, or even a year ago. The, sorry, I was distracted. The Texas Rangers not getting swept. Your Texas Rangers up uh, 13 to three in the seventh. Let's go. Very exciting. All right. Now are you ready for a mailbag? Yes. New Mobag sponsor. You've got mail. Mail time. I found these in my mailbag. Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? You don't have a tic tac, do you? Did I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? You were saying? New Mobag sponsor, right? Uh, yeah, did we decide that? I think so. We'll uh, debut it. For now. So, a little bit of programming news, I guess. Gaucho's After Dark will be back in the fall to uh, use that After Dark window, that fourth window, while the Pac-12 is getting dozens of viewers. You can ignore some crappy Cal versus Oregon State game. And come tune in to Gaucho's After Dark, sponsored by our friends over at Barnett, Howard, and Williams. We'll do that every college football Saturday. More of a look at kind of the Big 12 as a whole. And then, of course, we'll do our in-depth Texas Tech recap a little bit later on. So Barnett, Howard, and Williams will be sponsoring Gaucho's After Dark again. We appreciate that. But in the meantime, while we're still, what, 38 days till kickoff? I think shout-out to George Smith. Barnett, Howard, and Williams will be the sponsor of the 
Discord mailbag if you want to submit a question, patreon.com slash gamblinggauchos. Got some cool stuff over there. You get access to the Discord server and putting out a lot of data visualization and returning production charts. Hopefully you find those useful if you're planning to bet on any Big 12 futures or season props, things of that nature. But Barnett, Howard & Williams, bhwlawfirm.com, the best law firm in the state of Texas. They handle all sorts of cases, catastrophic injury, criminal defense, Title IX student litigation. Three double Texas Tech grads. You can learn more at bhwlawfirm.com. Into the mailbag. Will College Game Day be back in Lubbock this year? If so, who will be the celebrity guest? Hmm. Who would be the celebrity guest? I would have to look at the Kansas City Chiefs bye week schedule. Uh, let's say it's week, let's say it's week two against Oregon, and then maybe a bye week for Mahomes late in the season, maybe against a TCU or a Kansas State. Yeah, if it's Oregon, that's not going to be Mahomes because that's week one of the NFL. That ain't happening. Um, who would be a good celebrity guest for Tech versus Oregon? That's a good question. Um, what do you think? Do you have somebody good in mind? No, I was I was trying to think of some uh, maybe country music guy. That's what they normally do. Uh, Josh Abbott. I'm trying to think of a couple of actors. Jesse Plemons did the the K through twelve. Joey McGuire. Grant McCasland. We're going to have somebody hot enough by then. Uh, Krista Gerlich. Who are we going to have? Already said it, Alex. Beans and he can eat a worm. I don't know. Tech doesn't have a lot of celebrities. No, we don't have a lot of celebrity firepower. Most of the ones we do are football. Like it'd be Cliff or Pat or – but they've all got jobs in the fall, so they can't. Cliff doesn't. Yeah, he's at USC with Lincoln. He's an analyst. Cooking up some brisket. He's an analyst. Tuna, man. Cliff was eating that tuna. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Swing and a miss on that question. We stumped by the mailbag. Stumped by the mailbag. I'll go Josh Abbott. Uh, Does your beer league team keep Okay, hey, we got the answer. Zach Thomas entering the Hall of Fame. He's unemployed. That'd be a good one. To have Zach Thomas in his gold jacket. Is he unemployed? Well, I mean, happily. (laughs) I don't think he has to work. You think he's doing that retirement thing? In some Uh, form, I hope. He's earned it. Are you in any rec leagues? Not right now. But I was a intramural flag football champion at Texas Tech. Did you keep stats? No. (laughs) That was the question. Uh, start bench process cut media mediums vinyl cassettes cds streaming i'm a stream guy yeah convenience it's definitely streaming cassettes there's no upside it's not convenient and it's not classic so we're cutting that i would i would bench vinyl process cds yeah do you have any vinyls yeah i got a pretty good collection I got Rusty Weir stacked deck behind me. I've got and a collection of NFL songs. I'm trying to think here. I've got some Johnny Cash for sure. Got some Aerosmith, Patsy Cline, Fleetwood Mac. 
I have to look at some of the other ones. I'll put I'll put some of that in the in the Discord. Uh, yes or no? The Jones only does the touchdown light show when the touchdown is meaningful and or we're still in the game. I hope so. I don't want if we're down fifty two to thirteen to Oregon and Taj runs one in. I don't want the fireworks going off. Uh, I think it'll be every touchdown. It would be kind of funny too if like Tarleton comes in the next week and like we just beat Oregon, we're ranked number twenty in the country, and it's like seventy to three, and they're like doing the laser beams and everything. That'd be that'd be funny. Yeah, up by fifty, down by fifty. <laughs> Take yeah. that, Tarleton. Um, favorite ballpark in backyard baseball. Man. Um, you know who would be a good guest picker? Wes Welker. Danny Amendola. That'd be fun. Yeah, I think Wes is still employed. Danny's unemployed. Yeah, Wes is working with the Dolphins. Um... I forgot the name of it, but it's. I said it. I answered in there, right? It's the one where like the fence is even on both sides, and you can just absolutely rake there. Ekman Acres. Yeah. Somebody deleted your comment. I think I used to play at the Sandy Flats. Did you always so, use Pablo or? Yeah, Pablo. My I had all power guys, so Pablo like wasn't even in the middle of my lineup. Because I had like Maguire, Canseco, the Big Hurt, like I had every. So Pablo's like in the eight hole, but he's still like. I think I had Pete Wheeler and Kenny Lofton first, just get on base, and then just like dinger after dinger after that. Uh, what would be your favorite military aircraft to do a flyover before the game? Couldn't name one. Do you like the big jets or the the small fast ones? I kind of like the the ones that look more like kind of like cargo planes. Yeah, me too. What I do think is cool, and I feel crazy for a few seconds, but like um, when I know there's going to be a flyover, and you see like some birds take off from the north end zone, and like you can't hear anything, you can't see anything yet, and I'll like turn to my wife and I'll be like, the flyover is a few seconds away. And so, like, the birds scatter, and then they a few seconds after that, they kind of come into view. I think that's really cool. So, I, I'm pretty much a fan of any kind of flyover, but I like I like the quick, speedy jets, but I think also the large, more, like, kind of cargo-looking planes look pretty sweet. The B-52, Stephen Stevens says. Yeah, B-52 is definitely one of my favorite military aircrafts. Uh, considering it seems almost impossible to make it through a full season with a healthy starting quarterback, which team would have the best shot with a Big 12 title with at least half of the games being played by the backup? Off top, Texas Tech. And that's not just me being a homer. You've got a guy who's – Joey said this at Media Days. You're the only school in the conference that has two guys that have started and won Big 12 football games. Um. I think Baylor, there's probably not much of a drop-off between QB1 and QB2. I'm trying to think. Uh, Kansas, honestly, if they were in contention, I don't think there's a huge drop-off. I think Jalen Daniels is really good, but I think Jason Bean played really well last year. When, well, when that, off, 
that offense is so complete. Yeah. That, that you can just kind of plug in at quarterback. Yeah, those are my three answers. Tech, Baylor, and Kansas. Power rank the Picadors based on how you think they'd perform in a zombie apocalypse. I know uh, Keith could go with his tent truck and live off in Montana somewhere and just fish and eat. So I'd probably rank him pretty high. Chuck, who asked this question, Swamp Donkey, I feel like he thinks he should be listed highly. I think I think Bithen would do all right for himself. But him. You know who I would not want in the zombie apocalypse? And this is not like a call out. But I feel like Root would just be memeing the whole time. He'd be like, more like zombie dumb apocalypse. And be like, hey, man, we're, we're fighting for our lives here, Root. I need you. I need you focused in the foxhole. Oh. Fair enough. He'll be, he'll be like zombie apocalypse. That was the worst cranberry song i don't know i feel like we would just have a bunch of but his would be funny yeah uh mario says me on the not list good to know chase chase uh has a bunch of guns apparently i wouldn't i wouldn't um say that on the internet but (laughs) i said no offense yeah no offense Bless your heart, Alex. No offense, but you're a real moron. If your former AD and father-in-law were invited to watch a game on the sidelines by Joey while on speakerphone, how would you invite yourself? First things first, I totally thought we had the husband of Gerald Myers' daughter in the Discord for a second when that question was first asked. Me too. (laughs) I was like, like, wait a second, Mr. Loco, are you – but he clarified, it's his high school AD. I think Maddie actually had a great response to this. You you call him up, you know, the weekend of the game and say, hey, man, like, I've got nothing to do. Are you doing anything that weekend? Maybe we should hang out and then kind of like force their hand saying, well, I, I'm going to the tech game. You should come with me. Or they could betray you and just lie and be like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm out of town that weekend. Sorry, you're on your I own. I think he's in the room when the call happens from Joey. Yeah, but you, you play it off a few weeks later like, oh, was that that same date? Is that what game that is? Fair enough. So I, I liked Maddie's answer on that. True or false, if numbers were crunched, I know you like to crunch numbers, there would be no statistical evidence to show traveling longer distances for games has a negative impact on win-loss record, and this baseless narrative is way overplayed. I know in the NFL the numbers have been crunched, and going cross-country does affect win-loss records. But you don't have any true cross-country, coast-to-coast games. And it's not miles traveled. It's like New York to Seattle. Or Tampa Bay to Los Angeles, where your clock's all messed up. Yeah, I I do. The question was phrased in such a complicated way. I'm just going to – I don't know how to answer true or false. I'll just say that I think there is an effect if you go from Seattle to Miami to play a football game. This was actually a point, Rob, in – the uh, book that I read on sports betting and that I recommended to you, 
the the author brought up a good point and he actually used this as an example but he said if you think that there's a a unique condition of a game like Miami is traveling to Seattle to play the Seahawks that could impact the spread like like the travel um, it stands to reason that a team traveling half that far would also be affected by travel, but to not quite the same extent. So he's like, if you feel like you're going to bet based on 25 mile an hour winds or freezing temperatures, like you have to sort of calibrate that for all travel, all cold weather, all wind and say, okay, well, if a 25 mile an hour wind means nobody can kick a field goal, an 18 mile an hour wind means they can kick them, but they're going to be inaccurate. And a 12 mile an hour wind means that they're slightly less accurate. So, all that to say, I think there is an effect, but like you're saying, the longest anyone would travel right now, I think it's UCF to Provo, and I don't even know if they play each other. So, yeah, and it's, it, you know, I think UCF is who he's talking about. Um, there's a graphic in here from Miles Travel that BYU and UCF are going to travel more than everyone else. West Virginia won eight games in the Big 12 several times, and nobody was complaining about their travel except for West Virginia. And in Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Cincinnati are all going to travel the same amount. Uh, Kansas State has the least amount of travel at 3,200 miles total. How'd they get away with that? Doesn't Texas only lead the state twice? And they're at 4,100. Hmm. All right. Was this conference play only, maybe? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But I mean, hey, everybody has to do it. Like going from Lubbock to Ames isn't across the country, but it's pretty far. And like we had to do that in late November when it was freezing last year. So like, sorry, but it's football. It's a grown man's sport. You might have to travel a bit for the game. So I would say the only time it matters is if you're playing like, like BYU to Florida or Florida to BYU and it's uh, 11 a.m. or early game, like Haley says right here. Yeah, also like in the NFL, if you play Sunday and then you play Thursday, like on the other side of the country. Start bench cut being called these by Ben Hen, Buddy Pal Haas. Man, I think I'll start Haas, bench Buddy, cut Pal. Pal is the worst. If you call me pal, I feel like you're about to want to hit me. You're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. Like, in what context could you use pal that isn't antagonistic, irritated, all that? Yeah. Maybe we're just a couple of pals. I guess, but, like, if you refer to me as pal, if you're like, oh, is that right, pal? I'd be like, oh, he's calling me pal. He's working up. Yeah. We have you a can't soundboard. even say it. Yes, we have a soundboard. <laughs> no. The often utilized soundboard. Often. When we were together, it was better. But in the same place. I in mean. so many ways, Rob. You know what I mean. It's always you know better I mean. when we're together. Uh, how are you going to pronounce tweeting now that it's x.com? Yeet. Yeeting? I'm I'm still just gonna call it Twitter and tweets. I don't I don't care if it's X yeah. and Zeets or whatever. It, it's yeah. Twitter. I'm gonna call it Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um. Let's see. Soaking it in. What's your go-to karaoke song? I think we've answered this before. 
Man, to find go-to, it all depends. Like, if it's a duet, it's Summer Nights from the Grease soundtrack. If I want to do a Creed impersonation, it's My Sacrifice. What about Home by Chris Daughtry? Oh, that's a good one. I'm going home <laughs> to the place where I belong. Uh, the the latest one I did was My Own Worst Enemy by Lit. Okay. That one's fun. It, it's easy to do, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I have a, a, a portfolio, a repertoire. It's not just one go-to. Okay. A repertoire. Uh, is there going to be a pick it or pick them this year? There was last year. There was last year. Maybe if we get it sponsored, which by the way, if you want to sponsor the gambling gauchos and reach millions and billions of people, millions, hit us up. Billions and billions. Uh, DM us, email us. We're not hard to find. But uh, football season is, that's like maximum exposure, especially if we win 10 games. So hit us up. Start, bench, cut, Oregon, Washington, Arizona. Yes. That order. Probably so. Uh, A couple of BYU questions here. Spencer answered most of them, I think. Do you know what the Antelope Islands are? Mm Mm-mm. Do you know what the pink sand dunes are? I'm assuming. I know the white sands. Yeah. And I'm familiar with the salt flats, but I've never been to the salt flats. Do you want to start bench cut those three things, or do you just want to move on? Next. Um, I think that's it. There you go. There it was. That's the mailbag. The BHW mailbag. Were you looking for a button there? Ah, I was just seeing what we had. Haley says he's got a fever, and the only prescription is more soundboard. We can do that. Oh, we have a couple of voicemails we need to get to. Maybe not tonight, but uh, maybe next week we can get to a voicemail. Yeah, next week. Um, we're almost... We're almost at 100 minutes of us. Yeah, we don't need to do it tonight. It's a long it's a long voicemail. I have it on the board, though. It's from a, a Kansas State fan called Wildcat Willie. Ryan says, do the final thoughts drop. Do we have one? Is that an Izod polo? <laughs> I don't know why Izod is so funny. I don't know why. That's, that's random. Uh, no, we don't have a final thoughts drop yet. What's your final thoughts, Kyle? From small seeds, big trees grow. Mm. It's beautiful. Yeah. Is there anything that made you think of that? or Let that resonate with you, listener. From Ponder small that. seeds, big trees grow. Is that Confucius? No, that's a Norwegian proverb. Okay. But there's a Chinese proverb, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, and I feel like mm-hmm. those are simpatico. There's a proverb proverb about faith like a mustard seed. Move From now. mustard seeds, mustard trees grow. All right, that's all I got. 
Love y'all.